Welcome to another episode of uh, Teo Podcast, The Pandemic Press. And today I'm going to have a discussion with Jerry Fu, who was previously working as a pharmacist. And now he's a certified leadership coach specializing in conflict resolution. And um, yeah, so we're going to discuss things that both of us learned um, during uh, our years in university about the vaccines, the drug trials, which are very similar to vaccine trials, and it takes about 10 to 15 years. We go through all of that, and um, we actually say, um, because PhD holders have given us this completely broad speck of a view, and as a result of reading both sides of the vaccine, um, that's why I'm skeptical about this vaccine that was released in the spec of three months, uh, six months actually, and Pfizer getting approved late onwards. Like I am against the whole theory. I'm especially especially skeptical about this, um, and I think that um, politicians need to t- need to actually take a. Uh, take a viewpoint to this side as well. Anyways, uh, let me just uh, redirect you to the conversation we had. I hope you guys enjoy it. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Um, it was so interesting to have you on the podcast, actually, because you are uh, you were working in the pharmacy before, right? Yeah, I've been I've been practicing as a pharmacist for sixteen years now, uh, and yeah, just seeing how everything played out in the middle of the pandemic for us was definitely uh, a roller coaster for sure. Yes, uh, you can start by introducing yourself. Hi. Yeah. Hi. My name is Jerry Fu. I am a a pharmacist manager at South End Pharmacy in Houston, Texas. And I also have a side business, hope to be full-time business as a conflict resolution coach for Asian American leaders. That is brilliant, actually, especially for um, this time because you need uh, a business to like keep you up again. Mm -hmm. So that's coaching. Even I started coaching, life coaching, actually. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, great to meet another coach for sure. Yes, and I'm also... um, a med student from the past, actually, a uh, scholarship holder. And wow. it, was, it was kind of, it was kind of like weird because um, I was planning to switch uh, careers like right before the pandemic, just, mm-hmm. just two years before the pandemic. That was just a, like a wild choice. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So can you give me um, some detailed steps of how a drug is produced? Um, well, if uh, it depends on the drug, really. Uh, basically, it starts with an idea, right? And they just say, hey, we're going to synthesize a drug molecule. We have some ideas on 
on, uh, you know, what we needed to do. And so, you know, they get a bunch of chemists together, right? PhD, a lot of smart people beyond my, beyond my education to, um, yeah, just put this drug together and they synthesize it and, you know, they figure out, okay, you know, if it's, a, let's say it's a tablet, right? And then they have to figure out what kind of filler they want to use, what kind of doses are appropriate, right? Um, and yeah. then once they have a prototype, right, that's when they, you know, submit it for clinical trials. And there's four phases where they uh, test for safety and efficacy and then placebo and then marketing. And, you know, once they submit that application, assuming that FDA approves it, uh, then it can go to market. So that's yeah. the, that's yeah. the flyover. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the flyover. It normally takes 10 to 15 years for one drug to be produced. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and the animal testing, first you have the animal testing, right? Then you have, you're testing the drug against um, mm -hmm. A small group of uh, healthy individuals first, mm -hmm. and then yeah. there's a large uh, a group of patients, and then a large group of patients, and then it gets approved. Mm -hmm. And I want to also talk about how a vaccine is produced, actually. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a similar process, right? I mean, yeah. it, again, like you you put together, you, you extract some proteins from the you know the virus or the bacteria that you're trying to inoculate against, right? And then you you synthesize either you, right, we have the, the dead vaccines, right, the Salk versus the Sabin vaccines, where it's like, okay, let's use a, let's use a dead version and see if that's enough to get a response. If it is great, but, you know, sometimes that doesn't always work. And so, hey, let's use a live attenuated version, uh, you know, a weakened version of the actual bacteria or virus yeah. so that, you know, people can get a better immune response, even though that has a higher risk of, you know, causing the synthesis that you're actually trying to avoid. And, uh, you know, to bring to, you know, present trends, right? mRNA is a completely new idea. Like they've, they've yeah. not done this before, but, you know, the coronavirus obviously is so, is so novel that they said, well, we need a different way of dealing with this virus because of the circumstances. So, um, but similar, similar process, right? You have to, you have to build something, you have to test it, you have to make sure yes. that it's, it's actually- like, I had a question, like, I had a question, question of the vaccine because it was released within a speck of six months. <laughs> yeah yeah and that was like kind of like going against everything i learned so i was like <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true i mean it, and the funny thing is uh because i sat in a couple webinars with peter hotez because he's at baylor right who's in houston yeah. where i am and so uh they partner up with rice where i'm an alumnus and they've had a couple webinars and yeah people had legitimate questions for sure because that kind of timetable isn't great and at the same time he says you know uh, our reputations are on the line Right. Like yeah. we we if we at any point we lack integrity in the scientific process in order to get this to to market and, you know, it doesn't actually do what it's supposed to do, then, you know, we're out of a job like we're not out just out of a job, we're out of a career. Right? Yes. <laughs> and so, yes, exactly. And uh, I was I was like questioning some of the pharmacists uh, over here. And it's mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, I just I just I'm just a curious cat. So yeah. I just went to ask questions because nobody would answer my questions. So I just went sure. to look for questions. And I asked yeah. them like, um, why this it, uh, why this drug in particular, like this vaccine in particular is being mandated. I asked them questions like this and mm -hmm. um, they, uh, they were like, uh, I was questioning them, what is this, um, what is the marginal like death rate for it to be out of the market? Mm. Yeah. No, no, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a great question because, you know, there's, 
the thing that I'll tell people about is just that the process itself isn't great. Like it's like, cause I think about, think about like Vioxx, right. You know, the NSAID, the, you know, COX-2 inhibitor, like everything was clear by the FDA and then it caused strokes and then they're like, okay, nope, we better take that off the market. Right. And so, uh, you know, same thing with the Johnson and Johnson version of the vaccine, right. They said, Oh, there's a small percentage that have blood clots. Oh shoot. We gotta, we gotta ratchet this back. And you have to take it one of two ways, right. One is that, if they honestly did the best they could and that there are unforeseen things that no one can realistically control, then, you know, you just have to, I mean, it's tough when human lives are at stake, but you have to give some level of grace because they're honestly trying to get a solution on the market. And at the same time, if there's like an underhanded money involved, right. Where, you know, like these companies are just basically fabricating their own trials to justify the clinical evidence that, you know, they can easily manipulate. Okay. No, now I have a problem. Right. And, you know, and so which one, which one do you go with? It's like, well, I could give examples of when companies basically skirt loopholes in order to, you know, maintain like rights to patents on drugs, you know, that they used to have patents on. Uh, but with the vaccine, honestly, I think any company would realize if our product does not work, like no one will respect this ever again. And, yeah. and that's what, that's what I'm going to stick with because yeah, I mean, Pfizer finally got approved by the FDA. And if I, you know, respect the FDA more, maybe I would, you know, be more encouraged by that. But I think, I mean, you, you have to be careful with the news media as well, because they like to sensationalize like one or two deaths because one or two deaths is a tragedy, but then like a million deaths is a statistic, right? That's, that's the Stalin quote, right? Yeah. And, you know, so uh, it's not about whether or not I think there is uh, a certain percentage that says, okay, no, no, I mean, that, that can serve as an interesting tripwire to say, okay, like if 10% of people are dying from this thing, okay, no, like we got to, you know, reevaluate and, you know, and, and do this over, but um, it's more about, okay, is there a trend that we need to look at, right? I mean, because that's all the trials are based on. Is there a statistically significant trend, whether it's like symptoms or improvement, things like that? Um, and as long as we can assure that it's done by a party that has no financial stake in the, in the evaluation process, you know, we just have to trust that any, any like aberrations we see are, are incidental and not, and not, um, you know, being disregarded or ignored. Yeah, what about the stats? I, I was also questioning about the stats because it's it's been exaggerated, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. I can't trust it uh, that much because uh, even in my real life situations, like I had people I knew that were dying from an accident or dying from like diabetes, but they would be labeled as death of COVID-19 and then I would find that wrong and then I would go and question it. <laughs> Well, here's the thing, right? Like yeah. what, what did they gain by mislabeling the diagnosis, right? Like if someone didn't actually die of COVID, how does this help the situation yeah. by saying, well, they died of COVID, right? I think because, it's to exaggerate the situation so that the fear can be exp- accelerated in the, for the public. So they actually opt for the only solution that is left, which is the vaccine. Maybe. I mean, it's obviously not working here in the U.S. I can show you that there are plenty of people. It doesn't matter how much you scare them. Like they're not going to get the vaccine. And I mean, even I having to have a technician, like it doesn't matter how much empirical evidence I throw out there. It doesn't matter that, you know, I'm friends with one of the head infectious disease doctors at MD Anderson. And he is saying, you know, yeah, it is in everyone's best interest to get vaccinated because even if you get Delta, like having the vaccine, is still better than not having the vaccine, but people still keep hanging on to, no, I just don't trust it. And it's like, well, that's your decision. And yeah, I can't force that. Yes. And what do you think about the PCR test? 
you know <laughs> i have a lot of questions for like <laughs> no it's fine i mean i'll 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 answer them to the best of my ability sure but yeah. i mean it's it's like any test right i mean like we because uh, we did rapid antigen testing at our pharmacy at one point and yeah. you know and then they found no that's not reliable and even after my technician had to be quarantined and they made me get tested for contact tracing when my roommate got uh, got COVID and they're like, well, you know, don't just go with a rapid antigen test. You have to get a PCR. And it's, and then we find out later, no PCRs, you know, didn't do anything. And it's like, okay, like there's just so much evidence out there. Like which, what conclusion are you going to reach? So, um, I guess the simple stance and just thinking this out loud with you is just to say, look, if this is additional evidence in addition to the antigen test that assures you that you are actually negative, then great. You know, if it, if it's, if it's enough to, if it's enough to establish a prerequisite so that people can be at ease and certain that you do not have this disease. Sure. Does it define it? No, every test will have a disclaimer saying, you know, we can't guarantee the accuracy of this test. And it's yeah. like, okay, so what are we paying for? <laughs> you know, but if we're just paying for the, for peace of mind, great, because yeah, I just finished a book actually called predictably irrational that talks about how doctors actually leverage the placebo effect on a regular basis, right? Yeah. Like a, a, a patient will go in, hey, I have a cold and the doctor will think, oh, it's viral, which means that I shouldn't give them anything. They should go home and rest and have fluids, but they'll give them a Z-pack because that's what they think will help them. So probably, probably antibiotics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's all over the place. So yes. anyway. Yeah, that's the, that's the issue that's going on. And uh, I, was, I was thinking that for those who have like, similar symptoms of the COVID, like maybe a cold, a flu. Um, and one person said that her daughter needed a cochlear um, a transplant. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and she can't just go because she has like a phlegmy kind of, uh, like uh, she was born with kind of like um, these flu-like symptoms, like phlegmy uh, symptoms in her throat. So like she, she was afraid that uh, she would be tested positive for COVID. PCR. Oh, jeez, jeez. <laughs> no, I mean, but that's just it. Like, I remember I was in a restaurant one time with a mask, and I was coughing because I have congestion, you know, on a regular basis. And then I, I noticed that some people actually asked the waiters that they could like relocate because they're just like, <laughs> oh, he's Asian and he's coughing, he might have COVID. And it's like, <laughs> okay, fine. As a lot of discrimination is happening during this time, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are all sorts of hate crimes have been going on. And even before this, like I was, I had a conversation recently with a guy who asked me, you know, is it really that bad? And it's like, yeah, it is like you have, you know, part of American history includes an act called the Chinese exclusion act, just because, you know, no one was actually hurt or killed, you know, when this legislation was passed, doesn't make it okay. Right. Yeah, so, and we yeah. can actually teach that because like uh, nobody knows about the Asian American history. Nobody yeah. knows about the uh, gay history. That they just know about the black history, and that's the only <laughs> yeah. history that's actually relevant in courts. Mm -hmm. Apparently, yeah. well, you know, it's, if, it's that you know, if the crimes against them got so bad that you can't ignore them, then yes, they should. <laughs> you know, they should get first chance to have their own history month right but you know yeah at some point you realize oh this is a this isn't just exclusive to them like everybody experiences discrimination yes so, but like yeah. uh, do you think that every situation that happens in the world like maybe the pandemic somebody has to blame something or point the finger on somebody else 
Well, I mean, that's the easy response. I mean, they yeah. don't have to, and it doesn't, I'm not sure how much it helps. Like on one hand, true, like identify the root issue. But the, the bigger question is, what are you actually going to do about it, right? One of our classic coaching questions, what's the next action? So what if they, you know, have this thing? Like, are you actually going to get on the phone and lobby to, you know, your local, you know, politicians to actually do something to change it? Or are you just content just to complain and say, well, I'm more enlightened than the rest of you and I'm just going to be indignant? Yeah, like I sometimes I feel uh, this happens like in this sort of situation kind of happens in the U.S. where... Yeah, at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of unemployment and the mostly, most uh, people who were affected were Asian Americans. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw it firsthand, just a lot of businesses closed down. I saw restaurants closed down. Um, you know, I, I, I was t I'm looking up a restaurant, you know, in part of Houston for some Korean food. And it turns out like he was getting low ratings because like his staff has been decimated by COVID. <laughs> it's just kind of like, you know, it's just compounded problems. And, you know, everyone else would normally like this restaurant and be happy with this guy's service, except that, you know, a pandemic, you know, took away his staff and now he might have to close down. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I hate to think that the news will only highlight what's in, like interesting or financially you know beneficial to them, but I mean, we're all affected by it. So yeah, it is, unfortunate that for better or worse some Asians are getting more attention than others but if it's enough to leverage to actually do something about it yeah fine you know let's find a solution for sure yes because I found uh, like some stats and I was like the only the Asian American stat was not split into females and males and I was like what is this <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah I mean you see it on both sides right like we joke about this I think with some friends where they say hey you know if you're in Malaysia or if you're in China and then they'll start to distinguish hey there's Vietnamese there's Korean there's you know Laotian there's you know um Indonesian right and then if you're a white guy there they're just white but then if you go to Europe right they're like well there's German there's Belgian there's Swiss there's you know Swedish there's but if you're Asian you're just Asian so yeah, yeah. apparently if they just want to lump us fine yeah it's, it's like all <laughs> And we look there, apparently we look the same, apparently. And then we are like, we just come under one category. And I was like, I was like, okay, black people have males and females. Their white people have males and females. Why was it not significant enough for you to like, kind of distinguish both male and female in the Asian community? Was that not relevant? <laughs> apparently not enough right there aren't enough of them we didn't get enough of sample size so we just have to lump them together to actually get a statistically critical mass sum in order to make this count so go i guess it's teamwork in a way right yeah it's <laughs> this is funny actually it's a joke because mm -hmm. it's like uh it's like what we're aliens no mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean I, I I was watching a, a show called Warrior based off Bruce Lee writings, and they have a one of the commentaries said, you know, the U.S. Um, was built by immigrants, which has a complicated relationship with immigrants, because it's like for these immigrants, it's OK for them to come over here and have a better life. But as soon as other immigrants have the same idea that aren't in your same tribe, all of a sudden, oh, they're taking away from what we've we've worked towards. So, no, we can't let them have the same opportunities we do. Right. Yeah. 
So you, you look like, I don't know if uh, your background looks like you're in the middle of a, uh, you're inside an aircraft or an airplane. <laughs> this it is my bedroom. Like yeah. <laughs> okay. And I want to talk about your coaching as well. As a sure. lead, you're a leadership coach, right? Yeah. And a conflict, uh, focusing on conflict resolution. But yes, I am certified as a leadership coach. Okay. Yeah. What do you think is the main problem with CEOs in general? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I might be a CEO in the future. No, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I've had to tread lightly then. Yeah. No, I, um, I think it's uh, losing sight of the entire organization from top to bottom, right? Um, because basically, right, when you get a bird's eye view, Right. And you're not taking time to um, like learn people at every level in the organization. Right. Like, how do you expect them to really respect you? Right. Yeah. Like Xerox had a campaign where, the, you know, they were losing business. And so one of the consultants told them, OK, I'm going to take one person, each person from upper management. And you're going to have to work a day. You're going to have to shadow like all your like the, the, the bottom level workers for a day just to see what they're dealing with, because there was just a lack of empathy and there was just a lack of firsthand experience as to the challenges day to day. Um, because that's what happens with a lot. Like when I worked for a chain pharmacy, you know, their corporate business development department was so far removed from what was going on in the pharmacy day to day. And they would have us implement these programs that like were terribly executed because they didn't actually think about, okay, like how does this theory translate into the practical uh, instead of coming in and seeing it for themselves. Okay, well, we have this prototype. Let's run it through and see how it goes. They just say, well, you know, this is our idea. We think it's brilliant. And if you didn't buy in, then, you know, uh, you're just being a bad employee, right? So to answer your question, I think it's mainly just, you know, if I would say there's nothing wrong, but it's just more about, hey, if you want to be intentional and actually be effective as your role in your role as a CEO, then take the time to really know your organization inside out and don't lose sight of the little guy. Yeah, so this this is most likely for an organization that is like hierarchical structure, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's better to have a like a decentralized uh, kind of uh, work like organization. It 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 depends on the organization, yeah. right? I mean, I think like you can have you know because you want some level of accountability, so you want you know maybe some level of central like an oligarchical management, but you also but it's, it's less about the structure as opposed to empowering every, every part of the team, right? And yes. you want to break it down into smaller groups so that there's a higher level of accountability and engagement um, so that every group feels like they're being seen, heard, and respected. Yeah, that's, that's what I want to do with like my company because it's about like restructuring education. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want it not to be hierarchical. I want it to yeah. be de decentralized. So I get to know all my employees and like, get to know like where they're coming from how like all their men their mentality how it works uh, good yeah if uh, if they're stressed out individuals or I, I i feel like i have the responsibility to know that as a ceo and yeah. that's where i'm getting at awesome yeah i'm excited for you <laughs> <laughs> So this is this is kind of like a new step, like a new step uh, in a new path, actually, for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, congratulations! Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm excited for you.
Okay, so during this pandemic, what are the main issues leaders go through? Yeah, great question. Um, some of the main ones I've seen are, are burnout, right? That's a huge one where people just, they don't, they don't have their usual support systems in place, right? Normally we have weekends where we go out to nice restaurants or, you know, go dancing or do some other thing to really recharge, right? Uh, but unless you're an introvert that already likes reading books and staying inside, right, you're probably not going to have that in place. I mean, even churches, right, where people or just any kind of community gathering where you get to see people and organic conversations happen. So I'd say the first main challenge that leaders dealt with is burnout. And then in that burnout, trying to motivate your team and keep a calm head and maintain composure so that the rest of your team doesn't hit the panic button either. That's, I'd say, is a secondary challenge, you know, in line with the first one. Um, and then, yeah, the third would simply be, you know, engaging people in a, in a healthy way and maintaining those relationships and, and you know, um, leveraging your creativity in a way you didn't have to before and, you know, really stretching yourself. So I'd yeah. say those are three things that come to mind. Yes, because I th sometimes I feel like, um, especially with the experience I'm going through, is that um, you need to adapt and you have to be re resilient. And Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like um, the majority are finding it hard to like adapt, especially those who are coming from like really old generations, mm -hmm. like maybe um, 10, like, no, 20 years back, mm -hmm. let's say, we didn't have yeah. it the internet was not this functional <laughs> and now we are like moving into a whole technological era mm -hmm. yeah you're exactly right i mean it's yeah technology that's another thing right just maintaining a level of engagement synonymous with person-to-person -person connection because i miss hugging people like i <laughs> you know I, I i like i like hugs and you know to have that to lack that connection was hard and as you said right um the playing field is continually evolving. And unfortunately, like we saw, some restaurants pivoted to take out and managed to stay afloat. Others did not pivot soon enough or did not quickly enough. And so they are, do they are done. And yeah, it's, uh, it's a really sobering thing. This, the blessing in disguise, right, is that if these businesses fail, that's the opportunity for these people to move on to something else. But as you said, right, for the ones who struggle to acquire a new skill set, quickly enough to keep paying the bills you yeah. know what do we what do we do to take care of them so yeah, yeah tough questions for sure yeah and uh, i also want to include like entrepreneurship on my program so that mm -hmm. people would actually know how to i think the problem with um, st studies like pharma pharmacy or medicine we know all the science but then we it's hard for us to shift into something like business because it's so practical it's not theoretical and I feel like, okay, now I'm educated. How do I, how do I get the clients now? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a terrifying thing, right? It's because, yeah, I, I realized as a pharmacist, I never worried about where business was coming from. I had a marketer to take care of that and, you know, build relationships with physicians and drive prescriptions to the pharmacy. But now that I am my own boss, all of a sudden it's like, no, like, how do I, where do I find money? Right. <laughs> like, where do I find revenue? What? What do I do? And uh, yeah, I mean, medical technical schools, they do a great job, you know, focusing on the necessary knowledge to do your job well, right? Maintain your license. 
but they don't tell you how to define your niche or justify your niche, right? Like for pharmacy school, um, you know, the school's vision was that we would become clinical specialists, right? We would yes. get a residency and that uh, once doctors put a diagnosis in place that we would manage the therapeutic side of patients. The problem is, right? They didn't tell us how to go before a hospital administrator and justify that niche, yeah. right? And it's like, well, if you don't teach us any business sense or we have to go back to school to get another degree just to learn how to, you know, talk about our profession in dollars and cents, you know, that's a long time, right? Why yeah. wouldn't you build that into the basic curriculum? Hey, like healthcare business, like if you're going to start your own practice, this is what you have to do, right? Yes. Yeah. It's a necessity because everybody is then, uh, what I saw was this was like two years, no, two, three years back, 2018, mm -hmm. around that time, I was like, I, when I asked my parents and they scared them a little bit and uh, I, I was like, you, they've always wanted me to be the person who's like working in a job, but I envisioned myself to be more than that. And um, because I was like, there's 7 billion people, hypothetically thinking in the, uh, the huge population. And then it's like, do they have enough seats for everybody for a job? They don't. Great question. Yeah. yeah. They don't. Like this is this is how I like scare my parents because like uh, you know uh, those kind of questions nobody likes to answer them mm -hmm. actually yeah. uh, a lot of people want to just avoid them and mm -hmm. um, I'm the one who's asking scary questions you know <laughs> that's a good start I mean you have to right because uh, like if I've learned anything in my path avoidance doesn't solve the problem just because yeah. you remove it from your frame of vision doesn't mean it goes away. And the sooner you deal with it, the sooner you can move on to the next one, right? And that's, I mean, that was my biggest problem. That was probably the biggest reason I was fired from the job I moved to Houston for was that I just, I just got tired of engaging in conflict and I just said, I'm just going to disengage. But then I lost my job because I just wouldn't deal with the harder things, right? And what, yeah. if you're going to be an entrepreneur by default, you are also a leader. And if you aren't willing to overcome the difficulties of finding revenue and cash flow and building relationships, how do you expect your business to survive? Your business yeah. is solely dependent upon what you set up in order to move it forward. And you do, you, this is a good way to like maintain relationships. It's mm -hmm. Zoom. Now we have. Yeah. It used to be so strange, like back mm -hmm. in the like back when I was young, to actually yeah. talk like this. Yeah. 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 And, and now we ha now we have gone accustomed to actually do these kind of new, uh, new innovative things and establish relationships through like these apps called like Zoom, Skype, everything to have like these type of discussions and sort of allow uh, many people in the world kind of, kind of see a bird's eye view of the entire situation that's actually happening. Yeah, it's it's. Uh... It's a beautiful thing to watch as much as we don't try to burn ourselves out on screen time for sure. But mm -hmm. I mean, I've met so many great people like in New Zealand or Australia or Europe that I wouldn't have met otherwise had I not taken the time out realizing, hey, you know what, if I can't see anybody locally, well, who can I meet virtually? And some companies have capitalized on that. So yeah, grateful for that for sure. Yes. Um, and uh... Uh, what are the uh, main concerns of employees? Do you, and the difference between employees and leaders? Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. 
I think employees, from what I've gathered in my time in pharmacy management, is they want to know that they're taken care of, right? They want to be reassured, yes, I will have a steady paycheck. I will have benefits. I will be able to take care of myself and the people around because um, all the technicians I employ are mothers, right? So yeah. they're counting on that because now it's not just their countenance at stake. Like they have kids they have to feed, they have to, you know, buy school supplies, they have to do all these things, right? And so I think to build on that, though, it's not just enough to feel like they're taken care of. I think they want to do work that's meaningful, right? Uh, Dan Pink, uh, in his book, Drive, talks about, hey, how do you really motivate employees? What are they looking for, right? Uh, you can involve Maslow's hierarchy if you want, but I mean, that's basically it, right? So some combination of, do you meet my basic needs? Yes, okay, need a, need a, need a steady paycheck, but I also want to do work that is going to actually make a difference. And so in healthcare, that's not hard to make that connection, right? To say, hey, look, we are taking care of patients and we're doing it in an environment uh, that's going to set you up to succeed. So um, leaders, I think, need a lot of encouragement, right? They need, to, they, need, they need to have that reassurance that no matter what happens, that they are going to improve and that they're going to uh, be able to respond well to the challenges that come up with leadership. Um, if you're a follower, um, yeah, I think what they need is they want clarity, right? They want encouragement and reassurance as well to say, hey, look, uh, my leader believes in me and he's going to equip me and encourage me well so I can do the do my part to, to make the company move forward. Yes, and uh, sometimes I feel like some of the employees, they come to a job mm -hmm. not knowing that whether this, whether this is what they want exactly. Because mm -hmm. I feel like, when they come there, they're actually unhappy. It's like they they feel unfulfilled in some mm -hmm. way. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, you have to, you know, examine the journey as to how they got there to begin with, right? Because, yes. you know, because like for some technicians, right, maybe, maybe they became moms at a young age, whether intentionally or not. And now, you know, they don't have time to go back to school. And so they have to take what jobs are available, whether it's as like a medical assistant or, uh, you know, a pharmacy technician that, you know, that's what's available for their level of education. Um, and so they're almost inherently unhappy with the job, right? Because there's, because there's only so much they can do. But um, in, in light of recent literature, like designing your work life and things like that, I mean, there are, to give them opportunities to make, you know, design a position that they would enjoy, like letting them focus on the tasks that they're really excited about, or that they enjoy more than what they don't, you know, there's still some degree of design there and, and ownership that would still increase their level of job satisfaction. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's more about, Hey, get creative with what you have now. And yeah. like, you'll have a better chance at actually enjoying what you do. And even if it's just temporary. Yeah. And some people like, um, I, they have this particular, like I would say time level to actually figure that out. Some people do it faster. Some people figure it out later in their lives. Mm -hmm. And how would you say that um, uh, some people are really focused on it or should be focused on it? It's a good question. I think given the design thinking, um, what, I, what I appreciated most about that when I started to incorporate into my own life was that design is an iterative process, right? Like what worked for you five years ago may not be what works for you now. And what works for you now, I can't guarantee it will work, you know, five years from now, for 10 years from now, right? And yeah. so 
my naive thinking, or at least just, at least, you know, my younger days would think, okay, like the sooner I figure out my career path right out of college, the less time I waste on everything else. And then the sooner I can just enjoy what I meant to be doing. And, you know, as, as nice as that sounds, it's not, you know, the recommended path that would, I would do for everybody because yeah, a lot of people, right. I know a lot of people that were convinced that med school was the path for them. And it yes. was more about the good life. And, you know, I'm going to get respect and a six figure salary. And, you know, that's it. Like I just take my gloves off and just enjoy this career for 20 years. And then you realize quickly, no, that's not the case at all. You're just getting started, right? You got to deal with the insurance and you got to deal with accreditation and you got to deal with the, you know, business side of things that you never learned like in med school. And, you know, it's true for any profession. And so for people to just continue to build time in for reflection and evaluation to say, okay, where am I with my work life? My, how much play am I getting? What's my love? You know, how much love am I feeling from, you know, from support from that community and how's my health doing, right? Uh, someone in their twenties, health probably isn't as big an issue as someone in their forties, right? Mm-hmm. And love has, a, it takes on a different meaning altogether. And so it's more about, you know, realizing that you're not done, right? Ever. But that's not to discourage anybody. That's just to say, hey, look, just stop and look at where you are and enjoy what you have now. But also you know, balance that present and, and, and future where it's like, OK, this is what I'm working on now. But if I'm working towards something else in five years, how can I be more intentional about experimenting with that? Yeah. So uh, like I feel a lot of people do not even know their innate, innate talents because uh, mm-hmm. they go on like studying a long course and they forget about, okay, I'm good at this. I'm good at that. Mm-hmm. I could write a book. I could do this. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, one thing I figured out, like when I, while I was doing medicine, I didn't realize like I had talents. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I realized like the only talent I had was to pass exams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's still a talent. I mean, that still counts for something. Like that's what I joke about with my major. I said, well, I'm, I'm bad at physics. I'm bad at chemistry. And I'm not good at writing essays, but I can memorize stuff. So I guess I'll just be a biology major. So yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. So like after like I quit, like quit the whole med school, I realized mm-hmm. um, two years after uh, like I quit it, I was like, I can write a good book. Mm. I realized, I realized, and I was like, uh, because I was journaling about my life, and I was like, mm-hmm. wait, this could be a good, like, fictionist book with a great moral story, moral yeah. and stuff like this. And I was like, yeah, so everybody forgets that they have talents and they forget, like, forget to love themselves, I would say, mm-hmm. because they kind yeah. of, like, get consumed in everything they do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so they forget about, oh my God, what am I good at? Mm-hmm. I'm good at nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at pleasing my parents, right? <laughs> it's just, yeah, I mean, it is. And it's tough, right? When you see, you know, parents that are well-meaning, right? They want stability for their kids and the kids are like, I want to be an artist. I want to do this. And they're like, no, no, no. Like be an accountant or something safer, right? And it's like, yeah. but they have this, yearning that they never get to explore as opposed to parents maybe being a little more supportive to say okay you know try being an artist and do it for six months and you know if you don't make this x amount of money maybe you consider something else right or you know just set some kind of deadline or tripwire to say okay like you need this much money in order to make rent and you know cover your basic living expenses if you can do this 
you know, sure, great. But if not, then, you know, how can you pivot so that you can maybe, maybe you become an art consultant, you know, there's things like that. Like I read about a guy who wants to become an established photographer, but, you know, that didn't quite work out, but he made a lot of money designing a class for people to learn how to use more advanced cameras. And so he's making a great, you know, living on the side as he's trying to build his actual career. So, you know, the fact that, um, yeah, let, I hope that parents allow their kids to be creative and say, Hey, okay, you know, just ask the right questions, let them make their own decisions. Uh, but yeah, don't steer them away from things that they would be excited about doing, let yeah. them explore it. Yeah. Especially parents like from our cultures, they have this limited range of careers. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the, the priority is a little different, right? I remember yeah. the comedian Ronnie Cheng talked about this. He's just like, like getting there in the medical is not about patient care. It's about money and prestige. Like that's the quickest way to establish yeah. yourself as an immigrant. Right. And so, but now that we've had that, like, why do we need to keep doing it? Like uh, we don't have to, we don't have to keep, yes. you know? Yeah. So anyway. But like um, every country should actually like give a, like a, uh, actually treat immigrants well because we are like the we have more ideas kind of like and we could bring some sort of a gift for the country as well no absolutely yeah i mean but it's the, so ironic that uh, immigrants are treated badly bad yeah. in country, some countries yeah because they're seen as a threat right instead of saying hey these people come from a different perspective they can offer fresh eyes maybe they have some ideas Right. If they're going to come over here, then, yeah, let's make sure that they contribute well uh, in ways that maybe we not, didn't even expect. Right. It becomes a collaborative effort. But, yeah. yeah, too often people have a scarcity mindset. Right. And I'm sure people wonder what that is. And it's like, well, if you if you if you think it's a fixed amount of resources that have to go and like someone else taking more means you're getting less. But a lot of people think that way instead of thinking, well, you know what, maybe if we get creative, maybe there's a way for everybody to win. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought when I was like opening the business. I was like, if you're going to do it, if you're going to do a business, I want to do it my way because everybody's like kind of like uh, uh, kind of tearing each other apart sometimes mm -hmm. when they make their own businesses and they get jealous of one another and try to take um, take one another off because of the competition in the market. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, hey, wait, we don't have to do any of that. <laughs> we can be so collaborative and we can have a peaceful community in this world but like nobody thinks in the same way or nobody sees the entire picture that way yeah i mean it's you know on one hand right there is such thing as market share right and like yes. you know like soft soap did a great job you know buying out all these small plastic bottles so that bigger competitors couldn't overtake them because they couldn't buy you know, all because self so, so bought all the supplies, right? And so it was smart of them to say, hey, we have to protect ourselves and we're going to protect our, our market share, right? At the same time, um, yeah, you have to be ready to pivot. And that's the mark of, that's the mark of any true, truly successful entrepreneur, right? Say, okay, I have an idea. I'm trying to get to try to make money, but if I can't, right? Or if it doesn't work out the way, okay, let me flip to something that, you know, like, that will make money, right? And, you know, there's a lot of pride there that you have to overcome. Right. Because like PayPal is a great example. PayPal, their original vision was to uh, send money electronically securely between handheld devices. And then eBay users kept saying, hey, we want to use your website in order to, you know, for our transactions. Then they're like, no, that wasn't the original intention. But then but there's all this business there. And they say, you know what, we'd be silly to pass up all this business that that they're trying to hand to us. So, yeah, well, let's let's go to where the needs are. Right. So, yeah, 
just be ready for that for any trip. Um, uh, yes, and I would. Uh, what are the uh, problems that you uh, you face as a, a leadership coach? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're all over the place, right? So whether at my day job, when people seem to conveniently forget the expectations laid before them, that's a fun one. Uh, the other, as a coach, right? Like, how do I build my business? How do I, you know, generate leads? How do I increase my visibility? How do I protect cash flow? So um, a leadership coach, uh, you know, from the business side, there's two things, right? Number one, how do I continue to improve my craft? That's one, that's probably one yes. of the biggest challenges to deal with is to say, Hey, look, uh, to think that I have my technique down for good. And I just need to wait for business to come to me is, is foolish. Um, so you have to continually work on your craft because that's part of the ways you stand out, right. And position yes. yourself in a crowded marketplace. The other is, okay, what do I know about myself in terms of the business? Because if I don't build the business, it doesn't matter how good a coach I am, right? If I don't have paying yeah. customers or clients, I'm not going to There's stay so open. much noise in the internet, so you're not going to make it. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, you learn good. You have to learn good sales copy. You have to learn, you know, how to, how to close sales. You have to, you know, increase your visibility and, you know, show how you're different and, you know, what kind of story are you telling? So, yeah, leadership coaches all around, whether it's the business side, marketing side, research side, uh, but even as applying those skills and being consistent and showing, hey, I'm actually practicing what I'm preaching because every day I have to go in and motivate and communicate with the team to make sure that they don't fall back into bad habits. You know, it's all over the place. So, yeah, I'd say those are the main ones I see as a leadership coach. Yes. But uh, does this impact your mental health in some way? Of course it does. <laughs> Every day, you know, you, uh, what I, what I did during the pandemic, honestly. So the funny thing is with me is that, uh, I started my coaching program, uh, at the start of, uh, 2020. Right. And so halfway through COVID got big and shut everything down. And so my program went virtual. And so, you know, I saw a lot of the things that, you know, we had to do for self-care because I said, Hey, everyone should start journaling. Everyone should start meditating for like, you know, 20, 30 minutes a day. Yes. And honestly, if it weren't for those practices, if I hadn't gotten serious about doing those, as I was you know, learning them through the coaching program, I probably wouldn't have gotten through the pandemic because it was hard. And it was just yeah, like, we are not used to meditating, especially when we come from uh, backgrounds of science. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Always, always constantly studying and we don't think about ourselves. We actually mm -hmm. think about uh, actually passing and getting, closer to success no absolutely and, yeah and then we forget to like even sleep properly, properly <laughs> yeah seven to eight hours and then meditate and we never meditated i don't think we kind of lost uh, track of like praying even because mm -hmm. as a kid we would like pray it doesn't matter which religion we are in, mm -hmm. like you are buddhist right uh i'm christian okay yeah but so, i grew up in a, a buddhist background yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so I used to pray and stuff. And I, when I, as soon as I got into the science uh, path, I was like, I was losing everything. Like I was losing it. I was like, I'm not even taking care of myself. I'm just take, I'm just sacrificing a lot to get there to success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, what is that success, right? Just, you yes. know, bigger bills, bigger liability, what, you know, and then, to see friends that I know who successfully get into med school, you know, become radiologists, you know, like really competitive specialties, 
married with kids and they're like this I, I didn't know it was going to be this hard right to yeah. juggle everything and all the life stress on top of family expectations things yeah. like that so yeah just yeah I, like I used to see uh, like one of my friends in med school and they were having kids or so I was like I don't know how you're doing this like how are you doing this yeah necessity sometimes dictates a lot like I know a guy yeah like he has like married with four kids at the full-time petroleum job and he finishes MBA like during night and weekend school I don't know how he kept his marriage together honestly <laughs> with everything going on yeah those are really cool people like yeah. do they meditate do I meditate? Yeah, 20 minutes a day. No, do they meditate? meditate? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where they find time. If you do, it'd have to be at 4 a.m. in the morning before the rest of the family wakes up for sure. Yeah, and then, yeah. And they must be not sleeping at all. Like, Yeah, I don't know when they would. Yeah, you have kids around. Like, Good luck. Vampires. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... Uh, it's a it's a juggling act for sure but uh you know i'm always amazed that people say you know what if this is the circumstances i have to find a way forward and so i can respect that for sure yes uh, and uh, have you had any clients that have had to close down their business for some reason um thankfully no the clients i've had so far you know they're individuals one is in one one was in insurance and others was a graphic designer and so they weren't themselves business owners, uh, thankfully. Um, but I mean, I did work next door to a boots place that eventually shut down because in Houston, um, the rodeo is a big um, event for like places that offer, you know, merchandise like that. And so when they shut down the pandemic or the pandemic shut down the rodeo, he lost a lot of his cash flow that month and eventually had to close down in, in July of 2020 because he just didn't have the cash flow anymore. So um, for better or worse, I've not had any clients that had to shut down, uh, but there's no shortage of friends that I know that have struggled with their businesses in the process. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge struggle because now they have to find out how to actually uh, keep doing it virtually or come up with a different idea that doesn't exist today. Yeah, well, I mean... It's it, it's all in how you look at it, right? Like yeah. the reframe can either it can it can be the worst thing that ever happened to you, or it can be the most freeing thing that ever happened to you, right? Because yeah, that terror is there. You start to pay your bills, but if you're not worried about having to make rent, you know, with this albatross of a of a business anymore, you know, what what could you do instead? And there is, I think, a, a shift toward information based services as opposed to commodity based services, which I think is just more practical anyway, um, but. That just means it becomes a more crowded marketplace, as we both know. Yes. Um, but that's that's how we get better, right? When the when the competition inspires us to re to really push ourselves to our limits, uh, that's actually a good thing, not a not an annoying thing. Yes, and we become better, and we become better than who we were yesterday. And that's the challenge. It's not about competing with other people; it's mm -hmm. competing with yourself. Yeah. The, yeah, the mirror version of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Am I, am I a more mature version of myself today or not? Right. And if I'm not, well, number one, is it worth it to get there? Number two, if it is, you know, what will I do? Will I read a new book? Will I, you know, ask a friend for feedback and how I can improve? Do I check my blind spots? You know, there's all sorts of fun ways to do it. You don't have to frame it as an obligation. It should be something that people hopefully would enjoy. The way to learn. 
Yeah, it is. But, yeah, I encourage a lot of people to actually start podcasts, do something because it this kind of creates visibility and you're kind of already out there with the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I've 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 held off on starting my own platform. Um, I probably will hold off until I get more podcasts under my belt, but I'm happy to offer you know, value to people's platforms. And this, I've met a lot of great people in the process because if you care enough to start a podcast, that means you care enough to make a difference that you wouldn't have otherwise. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I've met a lot of great motivated people through doing this. Yeah, it's pretty cool as well. Even I have a platform and I'm just getting started with uh, coaching Mm -hmm. and I wrote a book, which is cool because that's the first time I actually wrote it. And I actually out, yeah. I figured out, oh my God, I can write a book. I didn't know that I could do that. I, I did that. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It just feeds on itself, right? You have this momentum. Yeah. You say, you know what? If I can get that done, imagine what else I could get done. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess. And uh, it was nice actually talking with you. I will link all the details of uh, um, your website where people can contact you and help you out. Yeah, as well. No, thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, basically what I tell people. I mean, I'll, I can mention the website now just so people don't have to look in the show notes. My website is adaptingleaders.com. Um, and so, yeah, just schedule a free 30-minute call. Let me know what you're working on. I'll share your story, whatever I can do to help. And even if you don't want to hire me as a coach, there's plenty of free resources uh, with my book blog. And also just if you must want to know, hey, here's what's the list of books you want me to read, Jared, to improve myself, right? Or improve my leadership. And I'll be happy to share that with you. So yeah, reach out for sure. Thank you, Jay, so much for joining. Oh, thanks for having me. Have a great day, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the conversation we had and make sure you subscribe to Teo Academy on YouTube. And um, you can also send us questions at Teo Education System on Instagram um, and let us know what you would like to know next. We have future episodes. We can actually discuss uh, topics as well. So, and uh, make sure you check out uh, my book that I've released. It's actually available on Amazon as an ebook, And it's called Unveiling the Truth Behind Catherine's Destiny. Uh, my name is Rashni Hevawasam, and I am your host, and I am signing out.